Hey everybody, welcome to the PVA Podcast. This is Marcos, your host. I'm so excited to introduce my next guest. Nick, go ahead and introduce yourself real quick. Yeah, I'm Nick Nakis, and I'm the filmmaker of Reach for the Rings, which is a new documentary film coming out on Tuesday, 25th of May, 2021. And it tells the story of the International Functional Fitness Federation World Championships in 2019 where teams of athletes from around the world came to compete in functional fitness with the goal of getting it into the Olympic Games. Nice. So what got you to make this documentary? I had been aware of the International Functional Fitness Federation from their founding back in 2016, 2017. Around there, I'd seen some stuff on the internet that this was happening and I contributed to some fundraisers. And uh, I'm a filmmaker. I've done this for 20 years and I did it in high school before that, you know, in the 90s before that. And um, uh, I just kind of worked in TV and commercials and on other people's crews. And I really had an urge to make my own stuff. Hmm. And I'm also a functional fitness guy. I was one of the first CrossFitters in the world back in 2003. And I've been involved ever since then. And I've you know, worked at CrossFit affiliates. I've owned a CrossFit affiliate. I've kind of been in and out of that world for, for almost 20 years as well. Mm -hmm. So it was really um, just kind of an inspiration of like, well, what if I make a documentary about this Olympic fitness movement? Mm -hmm. You know, so that kind of came to me uh, three years ago, almost like mm -hmm. uh, at the end of 2018. And, um, and I, I uh, asked a friend to connect me with the folks at the IF3. Um, and actually James Fitzgerald over at OPEX put me in touch with Gretchen Kittleberg, Kittleberger at the IF3. And um, uh, Gretchen and I started talking about the idea of a documentary and what it would look like. And we spent most of a year just planning, creating ideas, creating proposals and budgets and PowerPoint pitch decks and having conversations with potential sponsors or partners. And um, just out of all those like cold calls and cold emails, um, two, week, two weeks before 2019 Worlds, I got a, a call from Gravitas Ventures. Mm. And that's the same company that distributed all the CrossFit Games documentaries, the Strongman documentaries, nutrition documentaries, like most of the documentaries on fitness and health and stuff that you will watch mm -hmm. have their imprint at the beginning and end of it. Um, cause they're the biggest documentary distributor in the world. Mm -hmm. And the guy called me and said, you know, tell me your idea. We had an hour conversation. And at the end I was like, I'm making this documentary. So I told Gretchen and she found me a ticket with the USA functional fitness team to come over as a videographer. Mm -hmm. And those guys flew me out there to Sweden and I spent, you know, basically a week um, running around with a couple beat up old borrowed cameras. <laughs> and uh, there were a few guys, other guys there shooting cameras and um, I got their contact info or we got their stuff on hard drives or they drop boxed it to me. And, you know, um, within a few weeks after Worlds, I had compiled 65 hours of footage. Wow. Wow. And I had no budget. Yeah, <laughs> I had no budget, I had no crew, and it was like no way I was going to make this movie except for that I had to. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, yeah, and uh, and then COVID hit, and I like got the opportunity to actually sit down and edit every day and make the movie. So that's the story in wow. a nutshell. 
So you took on, I mean, this is now you're, so during all of COVID, you've essentially been editing this movie, this documentary and getting it prepped for this very moment right now. Am I right? Yeah. So you didn't have a crew with you as you were filming this entire thing? You were just solo for the most of it? Yeah. So like normally the way I would want to do something, it's so funny because I work on sometimes Hollywood movies, big TV shows, network TV shows where there might be a hundred or a couple hundred people on set on a day and everybody's got a job. And, um, you know, so they're all able to do their particular job very well and each job supports the others. And of course the product at the end is fantastic for that. Right. Um, that's how you have big movie scenes with crowds and cars moving around. And every one of those people is on your crew, you know, mm-hmm all the lights. I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive when you see what goes into making a, a, a shot in a movie, mm-hmm. but I've also done a lot of corporate videos and infomercials and stuff where maybe we only have a handful of people, maybe 10, maybe five, mm-hmm. maybe even three. But when you're only one, that means you've got nobody else to hold the camera, nobody else to check lights or make sure people don't have stray hairs or their makeup looks crappy or they're or they're sweaty or you know there's nobody to look at any of that stuff there's nobody to line up your next interview for you so that you're catching the right person before they go out to their event or right when they come back from winning it mm-hmm. there's no one to make sure that you're interviewing somebody who's going to win this weekend and not somebody who's going to lose mm-hmm. or who nobody's ever, ever heard of and as much as i mean that's not a huge thing i like telling the stories of people nobody's ever heard of but yeah. you're, you're talking about making the most use of your time mm-hmm. You typically for something like this would need like at least, you know, a director, director of photography and a producer, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody to take care of the the image and the sound, somebody to talk to the people and run the thing. And then somebody else to get all the paperwork and line up your schedule. Mm -hmm. And I was doing all those jobs. (laughs) So what, so what, what happened with the discussions with IF3, were they, I know you said you had some conversations with them talking about them, about you doing some work for essentially filming the project and were yeah. they not willing or not wanting to be involved at that point yet or they wanted to oh the if3 no actually the if3 has been involved at every stage the if3 has been an awesome partner with me but the if3 didn't have the operating budget to hire a media crew to come uh, out okay so is it, are you guys the if3 is a smaller team overall correctly if3 is a very small not-for-profit volunteer-run organization Okay. Um, it has a large mandate in the world in terms of, of running the sport of functional fitness mm-hmm. on the global level and representing to the Olympic uh, level. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's still a group of, it's a scrappy group of volunteers running on, on donation money, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were able to, through sponsorships and fundraising, they were able to create the budget to have a live streamer at the mm-hmm. event who live streamed it um online to the whole world and people would pay to to watch the live stream so that kind Mm -hmm. of funded itself and i got to use the live stream footage and they also hired a guy um jacob walker from last light films Mm -hmm. um they hired him to come out he was in scotland then now he's in vancouver he's a great videographer great uh cameraman and he goes all around the world well in pre-covid times he'd go all around the world filming functional fitness competitions, CrossFit competitions, powerlifting, strongman. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of really cool stuff that he does all in the fitness sports uh, realm. 
Um, and he was out there paid, he was paid by the IF3 to shoot highlight footage. And we use a lot of that in the film as well. Uh, so you guys are able to compile, like you said, you're able to compile almost 65 hours of total footage time. And you were there for a week in total time, correct? Well, I'm estimating because it takes a couple days to fly in and a couple days to fly out. I'm in Seattle. Okay. So I went to Malmo, Sweden and back. And that's like two days of travel each way. Yeah. You know, cause I, got, I, and it's crazy the kind of connections that I had to make because the, the person I was replacing um, for the USAFF was just going to fly out of New York. And so I got to get myself to New York, which meant like via Boston or wherever they connected me and yeah. coming back, I'm sleeping in an airport. So then there were, we were there on like, we arrived the day of like the athlete briefings and the setup day basically. And then there were three full days of competition. And then there was just like a rest day where we got to go hang out in Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. And so that's five days we were there, two days of travel on either end. It's a week. Mm-hmm. So you were you were traveling though, primarily you were focusing on the USA team. Is that right? For most of it? I know because yeah. a lot of the footage was, so there's some USA, there's some can- Canadian teams. Uh, I think one of the Canadian members was on the trailer as well. Um, but what do you think about, I guess, kind of pivoting just a little bit, what do you think about functional fitness making it into the Olympics? I mean, that's the next stage for this. Um, they're really put making the push. Am I right? Big time. And I love that. I love mm-hmm. that dream. I love that idea. I like that mission. Um, that's why I wanted to do this. Uh, I really believe in the idea of a sport being run by the athletes who participate in the sport hmm. and being, you know, a participatory thing of people all over the world. Hmm. Um, you know, and like, like any sport, there are people who are going to make money as private organizations. Um, you know, people who organize private competitions. I mean, the NBA mm-hmm. is a huge money making organization yeah. to judge you know, a bunch of private companies yeah. that make a lot of, a lot of money and pay their athletes very well. However, basketball at the Olympics is a different thing. Mm-hmm. You might see somebody, some Russian basketball player you never heard of, you know, yeah. and that's, that's cool. And that's how sports are. And, and it's, it's, it's pretty impressive that this sport is like, is going there now. So I'm, I'm all about it. And I think, the reason we, the reason I followed the USAFF was really um, out of convenience or necessity in the beginning because they flew me over. So they wanted coverage of their, of their athletes and their, you know, they wanted me to film their people competing and interview their people. And I, meanwhile, you know, I know I'm also going to make a documentary out of this. Mm. So I got to film a lot of other people and, and I was picking up a lot of extra content as well, but I ended up with really when we you know when i looked at that 65 hours of footage i cut it into actually first thing i did was cut it into four and a half hours of stuff that i liked like what we call select footage Mm -hmm. i'm like i want to tell the story with this four and a half hours of stuff but there was a lot of people from all over the world in that Mm -hmm. and when we looked at it and we're looking at well you only get, and it was chronological i cut Mm -hmm. that four and a half hours chronological it didn't tell the story in 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 a in a you know, way that made sense. Like stories are not typically chronological, if you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like they usually go by theme or Mm -hmm. mood or, you know, and sometimes chronology follows that. But when I looked at that chronological footage and, and Gretchen from the IF3 looked at it and other people that I shared it with kind of the, the, the consensus was 
is jumping around to a lot of different people that it's hard to keep track of. And mm. some of these people show up and then disappear and we never see them again. Mm. So if I interviewed an athlete, you know, from Egypt for 20 minutes, but we never actually see him competing because I wasn't there to film his heats. Yeah. You can't really keep him as a character throughout a two hour movie. Definitely. So, um, so what, what I did have was the USA characters that we could follow consistently through the whole thing. We talked to them between events. We talked to their coaches at the beginning of the day, the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So I actually had the footage to tell the story of the US. Mm-hmm. So that was a necessity. But the other part of this is from the, from the sales and distribution side and the marketing side of this. Mm-hmm. This is our first time making a movie about the IF3. Mm-hmm. And other than say the, the movie about the CrossFit championships in Dubai, mm-hmm. um, pretty much all the CrossFit documentaries have been about the USA. Mm-hmm. So like so far, the market for, for functional fitness movies is primarily based around the USA and athletes from the USA. We want to be able to break this into international markets and tell the story of athletes in lots of other countries and and continents, you know, Mm -hmm. but the perspective that our distribution company gave us was stick with the U S now we're going to sell it in the U S and Canada first. And Mm -hmm. so you do, we do have some, uh, Alex Parker from Canada is a big character in the thing Mm -hmm. as well. Um, but it's like, and we we also worked in a couple of Australians, um, uh, into the movie as characters, but essentially the idea is we've got to establish the, the market viability of this in North America, then expand it to other countries. And the second film will have an opportunity now to be more global. Mm-hmm. The third film will have an opportunity to be even more global, mm-hmm. you see. So is the goal to continue that relationship with the IF3 and as these films go on, like you're saying, expand outside of the borders of of North America and continue to grow further and further out until you guys are able to encompass the entire globe and have a market for the Egyptian culture, the Egyptian um, athletes and the fans in Egypt, the European market, the Asia market, which for CrossFit's getting huge as well. So you've got to imagine that the functional fitness really takes off there. It's a huge market for them as well. Absolutely. And so like, I mean, I told you my, I started in, in, um, CrossFit in 2003 Mm -hmm. and, you know, four years later I was in, or three years later I was in Thailand and then I was in, uh, Kenya and I was working out with people and, and sending pictures to CrossFit.com and they were putting pictures up of me in Mm -hmm. these different countries and stuff. And, and I saw that like, while this fitness thing is going to be a big thing in these places and I'm still waiting to see, I mean, you see the Africans now are starting to like dominate in MMA. Africans are going to dominate in fitness when they get there. I mean, it's going to, I mean, I'll just tell you that, like, it's going to be impressive, but like, um, I was back in Asia a few years ago, about seven years ago, working in Phuket, uh, at a Muay Thai and martial arts gym there. And there were CrossFit affiliates starting to open up. We tried to be the first CrossFit affiliate on the island, but the guys across the street got there before us. And but there was, you know, so, <laughs> so I close, saw, I so mean, close. <laughs> and it's huge in Asia right now. I mean, it was growing massively in Asia seven years ago. I know it's big in Asia right now. I went to CrossFit gyms in Malaysia. Um, I know there's tons of CrossFit gyms in, in now in China, Japan, India, South Korea, like all over the place down there. Um, but yeah, the sport is growing internationally. And in terms of the IF3, 
They now have 46 federations in different countries around the world. So yeah, we're definitely going to tell more international stories in the future. Mm -hmm. the, 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 we're telling the story of the USA team this time because that's a familiar territory mm -hmm. with a proven market. And that's where we can really set down our, our you know, foundation. Mm -hmm. but, but Reach for the Rings is planned to be a franchise of films that we will continue making you know, until this sport gets into the Olympics. Maybe more. Who knows? What, what do you think about, we, we talked about it a little bit right before we started, but the, the IF3 being a functional fitness and the CrossFit relationship, right? I mean, there's been a little bit of animosity. I don't know if you'd call it animosity, maybe a little bit before with Greg Glassman, um, but you said the door's starting to open up, hopefully. Um, why do you think there's been such hesitation? Well, I don't know about the relationship between um, CrossFit and the IF3. More, I guess uh, more the culture, I guess. I don't know exactly how you place that, but. Yeah. So from my perspective, like I was part of CrossFit in 2003, right? Mm -hmm. And 2004 and five and six. Then I traveled around the world and I came back and kind of. Yeah, kind of a couple years, I maybe poked my head in a CrossFit gym once or twice. And then mm -hmm. 2010, 11, 12, I was really in it again. And so, it's, you know, like I've watched it for a really long time, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and uh, the culture of CrossFit of those really early days, it was very, if, like 2004 and five was very different than the culture of CrossFit in 2010, 11, mm -hmm. when Reebok sponsorship came in. Yeah. And you started to see the games on TV mm -hmm. and it's very different than the cultural CrossFit today. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've seen this thing go through a lot of iterations. And one thing that was consistent through all that is people that didn't get along with Greg Glassman got kicked out, burned, sued, whatever. Okay. So, uh, I completely sympathize, you know, I completely sympathize with all those people that are like, that hate CrossFit because of that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I completely sympathize with all those people that just love CrossFit and don't see any reason to criticize it because that's their home and their passion. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I can really relate with both those worlds. Um, in terms of the IF3, I don't know that if there's ever, that there's ever been any kind of a bad relationship. I just think essentially there's been like no relationship, no official relationship. Within the IF3 and the USAFF and the Canadian Functional Fitness and England and all these other countries, most of those people are CrossFit affiliate owners, <laughs> you know, they're, they're CrossFit in, coaches yeah. and they're, and they're CrossFit athletes mm -hmm. and they're doing this thing. It's totally independent from CrossFit. It's a different mission. Like they're kind of like these overlapping circles, mm -hmm. you know, it's not, they're not competitors to each other. And I don't see that there's any beef. But what I'm hoping for is that, you know, I mean, I just said what I said about Greg Glassman that, you know, a lot of time he wasn't the greatest guy to get along for people to get along with. I mean, I had little internet typing wars with him in the super early days, just because he, I just felt like he acted um, uncouth. Like mm -hmm. he just was so, I felt like he could build something much better and bigger if he was just like a better person. You know, mm -hmm. but, but 
I didn't know him face to face. I only knew him online. He was my online coach. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> like, Hey man, why are you writing about politics on your fitness blog? That's going to turn people <laughs> off. You know? But like, I do know a lot of people that know him mm-hmm. and can't stand him. So, yeah. you know, like him being there was at a lot of times toxic mm-hmm. to a lot of people and him not being there now has actually opened up a much better era for CrossFit. I think, I think in, in the last year, all the stuff that came out, all this, the scandal and controversy that came out last year and him being out and Eric Rosa buying it, like it's good news. Mm-hmm. And I think in the future that there will be hopefully a healthy relationship between CrossFit and all the other players in the functional fitness world. Mm-hmm. What do you think? How long is, uh, I was looking, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. How long has the IF3 been around now? Yeah, I, uh, Gretchen tells that story in the documentary really briefly. Um, they started in 2016. Mm-hmm. And they held their first world championships in 2017, second world championships in 2018, third world championships in 2019. In 2020, because of COVID, they held what was called the Continental Cup, Mm -hmm. which was a form of like virtual online world championships. And then 2021, it may be in Australia in November. I think that's yet to be seen. And in 2022, they just announced today the worlds will be in Russia. Oh, wow. So they're really, they're really pushing it out and they want to make it every year. They want to get it on that level of a lot of the other Olympic, um, Olympic level sports that are continuously have their own world championships, have their own federations, have their own things going on consistently. I mean, that's a super exciting for the functional fitness world and for the sport of fitness itself. I mean, cause I think that's exactly what what we're talking about here. And I'm excited to see everything continuously growing. Um, going back to the film for you though, what was the hardest part about it? Like filming this project? Cause this was, what is like the most difficult thing you faced during this, during this, uh, this project? Hmm. I don't know, man. The, the whole thing has been super difficult and challenging. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only- the only easy part about making a movie is coming up with the idea for a movie. Saying, <laughs> I want to make a movie. That's the only easy part. Everything else about it is brutally hard. And that's why so few people do it, even though so many people want to do it. So many people try and fail. So many people like me try and fail and try and fail and try and fail. And then, mm. hey, I made one. Yeah. You know, like the hardest, like it's really hard. The hardest thing about making a movie is making the movie. Like you have mm. to do a ton of work. There's no part of it that's easy. I mean, it was super challenging, just like dropping everything, jumping on a plane to Sweden, borrowing gear, not sleeping, running around for days, filming stuff. And, you know, that was all really hard because at any point I could have accidentally erased a memory card or dropped a camera off of the side of somewhere and got it broken. You know what I mean? Anything could go wrong. I could get home and find out all my footage is blurry and all my sound is like, you know, like, tons of of problems at every every stage so you have to have like a strong skill set and be just like sharp and on it and then also just be lucky and then i mean it's not easy to go through all that footage and log it and figure out what you have and and start to develop like what's here and then start to cut those scenes together like getting Mm -hmm. rid of like that takes lots of time and then you have to write a script Mm -hmm. you have to edit to a script then you have to go in and clean everything up you know like there's a lot i mean 
This film has more than 2,000 on-screen titles. Oh my so gosh. Like, yeah. So like scoreboards and stuff on screen, telling oh. you and, and names, telling you who you're looking at, telling you how much, like they're going to, they're saying the weights in kilos, you need to know how much that is in pounds. Mm -hmm. So I had to go through and check and check and check and make sure none of that stuff was wrong, like mm -hmm. over and over and over. I had to figure out how am I going to present this information graphically so that people understand who's winning, who's losing. I mean, there's no, there's no part of it that's easy. Did you, did you do all of the editing on your own as well though? Yeah. Oh, wow. So you really took on this whole project. How's been working with the distribution company been so far? I mean, you guys are working through pre-sales right now, um, trying to reach your number. Um, what happens if you do hit that number? So, okay. Yeah, that's a really good story. So, or a good point that you bring up. Um, our distribution company is Gravitas Ventures. Mm -hmm. And I think they have been great. I've worked with other distribution companies in the past and not had a good time, not had a good relationship. This is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, you are, we are entering into the machine as just another film and another team of filmmakers when they've got hundreds of them coming out, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So like, it's still, you know, I've got to be on top of things because if I'm not on top of things, nobody will be, you know? So I still have to advocate and push um, even though I am working with a good distributor who's honest with me and stuff. Um, but the thing with the, that we're in right now is the iTunes pre-order window. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and this is, this is a good thing about Gravitas. They've educated me about how to release a film because mm -hmm. um, you know, they're just teaching me about, well, then this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. Right. So essentially for five weeks, this is the fifth week, we've had the film um, available for pre-orders on iTunes, mm -hmm. which means people can go to their iTunes on an iPad, iPhone, Apple TV, computer, and they can click pre-order. And all that does is it's just like a vote of mm -hmm. saying, I want this. Mm -hmm. They don't get charged until the movie comes out on May 25th. And they won't get to see it until the movie comes out on May 25th. Mm -hmm. But well, the way they've explained this to me is what the pre-orders do is they inform the algorithms because remember we're putting this out into a bunch of a bunch of platforms that either on your tv screen or your computer screen or your device give you a tiled window of a bunch of stuff to look at and they've got tens of thousands or <laughs> of mm -hmm. options yeah and how are they shuffling what they're going to show it to you that's all algorithms you know mm -hmm. it's all ai so Pre-sales tell the algorithms, this has an audience and this is who we think that audience is. So it can actually show it to the right fitness people, you mm -hmm. know? Pre-sales also give us our first key performance indicators, our first metrics, like where we can put, you know, write it down as like an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Like we have many pre-sales. That means when the sales guys from, I shouldn't say guys, they might be girls, but the sales agents mm -hmm. or, the, or the folks from, international distribution companies mm -hmm. or from major streaming companies take a look at all the films that Gravitas is trying to sell them for the summer or the mm -hmm. fall. They can look at those pre-sale numbers and say, okay, that looks like it might have an audience. I'm interested. Okay. So basically on May 25th, which is Tuesday coming up, this film's going to come out on iTunes, but also everywhere in the U S and Canada, where you have cable dish or 
digital VOD, video on demand. Mm -hmm. So anywhere where you could go up and click rent or buy this movie mm -hmm. and download it, it'll be in all those places. So like all your cable companies and dish companies and your digital mm -hmm. boxes. And, stuff. Um, and that means for three months, it's transactional. People are paying to watch the movie. Anybody who wants to watch a movie is going to have to go rent or buy mm -hmm. on those platforms, right? But at the end of that three months on August 25th is when it goes out to the subscription streaming services. And we can't announce those yet because those sales contracts haven't been made yet. Okay. So like if there's a place where you pay a monthly subscription and you can watch all the stuff you want for free, mm -hmm. right? You know what those platforms are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> all of them. Well, like, yeah, like it's, it's, Netflix and Hulu and Amazon yeah. and all those places, right? Those are the ones we'll get to on August 25th, three guys, months after our OD release. And you guys will make but your pitch to them. We got to sell it to them. We don't know which one of those we're going to be on. And that is going to be based on this iTunes pre-sales performance. Because that's the just, first clue that we have. Is it just the pre-sale performance or are you guys able to do it the post-sale performance or the post-sale performance? Like the VOD yeah. performance? Yeah. yeah, the VOD performance will also probably be important to those later deals because mm -hmm. we're also going to make deals with international distributors. So like each country we're going to sell this into, we're going to sell it to England or we're going to sell it to Australia. Probably those are the ones that go first and New Zealand, like places that speak English. Mm -hmm. um, then they're going to translate it into other languages. Mm -hmm. But to sell it to those other countries, they've also got to look at some numbers. Mm -hmm. So the iTunes pre-sales are our first set of numbers that those people will look at to decide mm -hmm. if they want to pick up the so and that's why it's, it's like so important. And then you guys are continuously, I mean, you've been essentially on a marketing, you've been trying to get as many people to talk about it as possible. I've seen on your page. Um, yeah. I've seen on like Justin Kotler's page. I've seen it everywhere. I see you posting about it all the time. I think you're doing a great job of trying to get the word out there. What else? Um, what's like, what's something else you've done that maybe I haven't seen, or are you doing any pot? Are you doing any other podcasts right now as well? Trying to get the word out. I did the functional times podcast. Um, I'm trying to get on a lot more podcasts. Okay. Um, but yeah, yours is the second podcast. Mm -hmm. I will be working on getting podcasts all summer because, um, yeah, like it just needs to succeed. I, I need to make the next one. Mm -hmm. I think, I think there's a lot of really good. Yeah, definitely. There's like, there you need it. It's like, there's, there's a deep primal urge that you need. Um, there's, yeah. I know I'm going to keep, I'll keep on the lookout as well for you and keep in mind. I know I've done, I've talked to some other podcasts, other smaller fit, uh, functional fitness podcasts, sport podcasts that I think, I mean, I, from the trailer you've showed me from the conversations you've had from all the Instagram stuff, I've been looking at you guys. I'm excited to pre-order it. I'm, I mean, I'll be pre-ordering it right after this. I want to be honest. I want to talk to you and get that feeling about you. And, uh, I'm excited about it, man. I think it's got, I think functional fitness as a whole has got a huge platform to be able to grow on. And I, it's awesome to see someone like you um, giving it that voice. Yeah. And I mean, and it's not like there haven't been a ton of great functional fitness documentaries. Mm -hmm. There have been there, yeah. uh, there's a new one coming, another one from buttery Rose right now. Yeah. And people have been making great stuff, but they've been making great stuff. That's branded CrossFit and is done within their world. Mm. I wanted to get in and make it from a different perspective and without needing to check what I say through, a, through that company. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So like 
independently tell a different story of functional fitness and expand that lens a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm excited that this is going to appeal both to the, the CrossFit crowd, the hardcore CrossFit crowd, mm -hmm. and to people that maybe don't know anything about functional fitness, mm -hmm. or maybe people who are functional fitness uh, and competitive fitness people who aren't into CrossFit. Because mm -hmm. there's nothing in this film that, I mean, the name CrossFit isn't even mentioned once. There's nothing in this film that, you know, is for or against them, mm -hmm. other than the fact that essentially, you know, the sport is the sport, yeah. whatever you call it. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, I'm really hoping this has a strong appeal for CrossFit people and non-CrossFit people alike. Awesome. Well, Nick, where can they find you on Instagram and everything else? What's your guys' tag, your handle? Well, um, it's reach for the rings and it's Nick Nakis. I mean, okay. basically it's, it's me <laughs> and, uh, and reach for the rings with a full with on Instagram. It's at reach for the rings with the number four. And I'm at Nick Nakis N I C N A K I S. And then we also have functionalfitnessfilms.com. And um, that's kind of all the places where right now where you can see any news or updates about the movie. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure that I'm posting about it. I'll post something on my website, on my Instagram tonight um, and on my personal Instagram to make sure I can get an even bigger audience, hopefully reaching out to you and doing that pre-order for you guys. Um, I'm excited for you guys to do well and to make future films. Uh, but Nick, um, if there's not anything else, man, I appreciate everything. I appreciate you taking your time to talk to me. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, I really appreciate being on here and um, I'm happy to uh, talk to you again in the future if you want to talk to me again. Sounds good, Nick. Appreciate it.